So today we'll be uh, going over Romans 13, picking up from last week. So if you haven't been with us, we're now in the, the narrative of Romans, where it's the very practical stuff. If we are people living according to the gift of salvation God has given, then with our renewed minds, how should we act with one another? So Sam spoke last week about our relationships and you know the core of it should be love. And now we're gonna speak about governing authorities and our neighbors. So with our renewed minds, let's look at Romans 13. If you just hit the present button, just hit the present button, Sam. All right, so Romans 13, I'll read. Hopefully the slides will work by then. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authority that exists has been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in the authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. The authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is near now than when you first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen. So all of Romans 13, we'll go through it today um, and discuss some key points. So first point being the legitimacy of government. Um, so from the beginning, even you know, in the broader perspective of the Bible, right? Starting in Genesis 1, God has called Adam and Eve to maintain, cultivate, and produce good things in the world. You know, Adam and Eve, like us, were made in the image of God, and God spends, you know, the first chapter of the Bible, you know, turning chaos into order. And we are meant to do the same, to create, or order in chaos. Sorry, the way around. Is it up there? Yeah, next slide. Thanks, Ben. Yep. So, just as much, this is our calling today, to cultivate, to spread, to build societies and governments, right? God has a very high view of authority or governing authorities and the need for society to function in this way. And we know better than most people that there's, you know, there's issues in the world, there's sin. Um, and 
sin runs rampant unchecked, then it's really destructive to the things around it. Sin needs to be punished and um, there needs to be order within it, right? So this is our call from the beginning. And we see this in this passage as well, that God, or Paul is expressing, God has a very high view on authority. It is very important um, and necessary for our lives. Now what's interesting about this is that despite governing authorities having such a clear purpose and role in society that God has implemented and, um, and is using them for a specific purpose, almost any time somebody initially reads this passage, they think of the conditions under which they don't have to obey this passage, right? It's a little, uh, it's a little ironic in almost every book I read, almost every commentary and blog online, they, they all talk about under the conditions which you do not have to obey. Sorry, next slide. I keep forgetting to put my finger. Right? We, we immediately look for the loophole. And yes, it is true, there are conditions under which we are not meant to obey every aspect of governing authority. But I think if our knee-jerk reaction to this passage is, how can I get out of it? And that speaks more to our issues with authority. Um, and something deeper going on in the heart. And I think there's two core things that produce in us a, a failure to obey higher authority. First of all, mistrust that the government you know, is working or these higher authorities are actually working for our good. So mistrust. And maybe a, they don't share the same perspective as mine. That's the other thing, a perspective. Simply, I know better for what is good for my life and those around me. And I've studied psychology, and there are schools of thought that remedy this conflict of authority by saying, well, if you know what's best for your life, then control, you control every aspect of your own life. You become your own authority. If, you're, if you know what's best for yourself, then you control. You do you. You live that way. But it hinges on a false notion that you actually know what is best for yourself, which is arrogant and false. <laughs> As you see here, I think most of you recognize, or some of you recognize the photo here. Um, this is just outside Karen and Stefan's house. They, uh, as you're coming out of their neighborhood, you can see this is Morley Drive, and there's, I've circled it, a left-only side. But one time I was picking up Karen and we decided to turn right, which is illegal, but you can see you can, you can kind of go on the other side of the road and go over the median, right? My perspective was, I'm late, I can't be bothered, so I'm gonna go right here instead of you know, going up the road and chucking a Yui, right? But you know, then Karen and Lonnie then uh, proceeded to tell me these examples of these like bicyclists chasing cars down for disobeying that law, because apparently it's quite dangerous for bicyclists if you do that. So the, and the point is, it's just that my perspective thought, I need to do this, this is, you know, this is what's easy, good for me, this is a pointless median, why would I not turn right here? When in reality, in someone else's perspective, right, this is really quite dangerous what I'm doing. And I think it shows you know, that we don't always know what is best, and we don't always have proper perspective on things. And you can apply this you know, to any, I don't know, you can, traffic or road rule, like I'm gonna go 10 over because I'm a good driver. Well. Statistically, that's false. You are not a good driver if you go 10 over. <laughs> and I think, as I said, you can apply it to these smaller issues, but even the larger issues as well. And I think Christians especially can fall into this trap and have to be careful. 
because we develop this chuffness that says, I have the Bible, therefore I am morally superior, right? Which, you know, in actually a lot of cases isn't always true. If anything, we know we are not really that good, and there's some morally outstanding citizens that don't follow the Bible at all. And we have to be mindful and trust that sometimes there's a perspective that we don't have on things, even from a secular authority, that suits the situation better. And these rules are implemented for a specific purpose. And you, I mean, the core of the message is, who are we really putting in authority? You know, are we obeying God and his authorities that he's implemented, or are we just really obeying ourselves? You know, who is in control? And the perfect example of this is usually Jesus, you know? Jesus, though he was completely innocent, chose to submit to Pilate, a governing authority, trusting that God's plan of how to use Pilate was best, not his own. And we'll go to the next point. So the limits of authority. So yes, as we discussed, there are some limitations, right? But I think before you know, we go into those limitations, it's important to establish and look at our own hearts and know, go about it in a clear mind where we know, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a sense of arrogance that can slip in and knowing my, or thinking my perspective is better. <clears throat> so the first one there, for good, right? So the authorities or governing authorities are there for your good. And we've already discussed this a little bit, um, but you know, how to nurture and build a healthy society, build programs to support the community, you know, protect us during COVID. You know, thank you, Mark McGowan. He's done a great job. So, you know, build amazing facilities. You know, all good things to help us. Um, you know, God has put these people in these positions for that specific purpose, for your good. It says it there in verse 4. Also in verse 4, he talks about bearing the sword. And, you know, working for the good of society also means there has to be punishment to bear the sword. And here, if we were to continue on from Sam's point last week, right, there is evil in the world. And um, it is not our place to take revenge on this evil or to deal with evil, but it is God's, who we can trust acts justly with people and unleashes his wrath on evil as he knows is good and sees fit. And as this passage talks about, God uses his servants, governing authorities, to carry out his wrath and punishment of evil, not the church. It is not our role to bear the sword. And I mean, if you think about it practically, it can get messy otherwise. You know, as I already discussed, our perspective is not the same. And sometimes it is good to have an unbiased perspective of government to deal with evil, which we can, you know, again, trust because God has implemented these people. One of the ways to deal with evil is to leave it with authority that God's entrusted with to punish evil, non-biased, not in our control, but purely God's. I mean, if you even think about this historically, I mean, the, when the church wields that power of the sword, um, it doesn't you know, necessarily go very well most of the time. And the last bit is God's servants. Um, now all that being said, right, this is the ideal and perfect system in which protects us, works for our good, punishes evil. Um, but there's no perfect system. And this does not mean that God-given authority is always used well within its limits, right? We, we know governing, you know, government isn't always um, perfect. You know, neither are we. 
you know, take any class in history, you know, authority is abused. And in the past, those who abused their authority generally used this passage, passage to bully Christians into submitting to them. One clear term, but I think that allows us to properly navigate this as to when to and when not to submit to governing authorities is that term he uses there three times, God's servants. You know, when authority tries to supersede God, to take God's authority, then that's generally when you have a clash between obeying God or obeying governing authorities. You know, in that little diagram, it's one of those little dudes under the hierarchy tries to become on par with God. That's when you'll get some, some of those clashes. And there's examples of this in the Bible. Peter and John um, disobeyed authorities when told to stop preaching about Jesus. Um, you know, and many other examples in Acts, right? However, their example is not a license for us to go and disobey and attack the governing authorities at every turn. It's only where a point where God's will for the gospel is halted, and that's clear throughout Acts. As we discussed earlier, we have to make sure we are addressing our heart in the situation before we rebel against authority. If we are disobeying authority, what is that really showing? In each case of rebellion in the book of Acts, you know, with Peter and John and all those, it was a demonstration of their submissiveness to God and not to demonstrate their defiance to the government. And you have to ask yourself this question before you know, we address these issues is, are you making a statement of defiance to government or a statement of submission to God? Because it's very clear either way. And if we search our hearts honestly, I think we'll find you know, who we're really serving in this um, when we do these things. Next uh, slide. So now we continue on the legitimacy of love. We looked at the legitimacy of authority, now the legitimacy of love. <clears throat> so our role is to obey and listen to authority, to give honor, respect, and taxes um, to who is owed, regardless of our personal feelings. You know, if you guys are familiar with the story of Saul and David, um, Saul is the king at the time, and David was his superior, and Saul was a little insecure of David, so he continuously tried to kill him. He kept throwing spears at him. Um, and despite that, you know, David being hunted relentlessly by Saul, David still respected Saul as someone in authority and someone who'd been established in that authority by God. So he still gave honor and respect when it was due. And in the same way, regardless of our personal feelings, we are meant to give um, honor and respect to those in authority when due. But regardless of all that, right, we are meant to obey and you know, try and be our best, be the best citizens. The most important thing for a Christian is, you know, if you've forgotten already, is to love. You know, literally it's been seven verses since Paul last talked about love, and he's reminding us again that love is what really changes people and changes their hearts. You know, no government program, stricter punishment, or incentive will make a community flourish more than genuine love for one another. Government sets a bare minimum of the law, right? Don't do this, don't do that, you know, um, yeah, don't, don't steal, right? But if you're daily considering the love of Christ, then you completely fulfill the law by not only stealing or refraining from stealing, but giving to your neighbor, right? That's what love is, is that continual act of not, the not no, but the yes. How can I, you know, take care and really love people? And Paul pushes this quite far in that 
you will always carry a debt of love. And he is making a point that you can never love someone enough. There's no boundary, no limit of what we can give to one another. And remember, this isn't just the people in this building now, but you know, your neighbor, everyone in the community, you know, practice stranger love, which we talked about last week is the word hospitality in the Bible. And clearly what Paul has in this mind, in this whole passage, is that doing this, the gospel will spread. First Timothy 2 talks about, um, talks about this, that we should pray for our governing authorities so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives for the sake of the spread of the gospel. And you know, I find this interesting because a lot of the times we highlight martyrs, right? When there's intense martyrdom, then the gospel spreads, and wow, what awesome, you know, people sticking up to the government. But, I mean, Paul's appeal here is for us, you know, to be outstanding citizens and to make every effort to live at peace with, the, at peace with those around us so the gospel can truly flourish and work in our cities as an ointment, really healing and helping our neighborhoods. All right, we'll move on to the last point slide, please. So now we'll talk about the limits of time. Um, now, I mean, Paul finishes this all off, right? This last bit of the passage. And there's this important disclaimer that he wants us to know. And it's supposed to frame our whole thinking when working with government and loving our neighbors and all this. And it's to you know, recognize the present situation that you are in. In our present situation is to be eager anticipation of Christ returning to this world and bringing about true authority, true justice, and true love. You know, the day is almost here to be fully immersed in the light where we will have true and proper fellowship with God, a time of true peace to be living completely in light with him. And then Paul is urging us all here, and I mean the Roman church, you know, wake up, look around you. Our time has, is almost here, it's almost come. You know, and some of us are living as if we're in the dark and we are anticipating only more darkness. Living our lives as we see fit to gratify our own desires in this world. Paul likens this to, you know, wearing clothing. It's like wearing pajamas at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you don't, I mean, if I were to still be lazing around in my pajamas at 2 p.m., which is highly likely, I'm not working right now, so. <laughs> still, Lonnie comes home and rebukes me, right? I've failed to understand it is daytime. It is inappropriate for me to be wearing what I'm wearing. And when we're looking into Peter, or the book of Peter, right? We talked about clothing yourself with Christ. And this is a very deliberate and specific action that requires effort and attention. Paul is encouraging us that we have to wake up and actively reflect Christ you know, in our actions because it's almost daytime. Christ is coming. <clears throat> Another important reason we need to keep heaven as our uh, motivation is because really is the only sustainable thing we can put our hope in. You know, maybe during this, uh, during this time, during this lesson, you were thinking, yep, no worries, Cameron, love my neighbor, and I perfectly obey the law and government. Well, yeah, good on you, but don't slip into what I call firstborn syndrome. Oh, not what I call, it's a well-known thing. You know, firstborn children, like myself, generally hold a character trait 
that loves rules and holding other people to rules. Um, you know, quick disclaimer, this isn't only for firstborn children. Anybody can hold this trait. But me being a firstborn, it is true that I love rules and following the straight and narrow. My wife Lonnie knows this and knows that whenever there's a recipe that she wants specifically followed, she asks me to make it because I know I'll do my best to follow the recipe specifically. She just throws random stuff in, so. <laughs> it's usually bacon, which isn't a bad thing, so. And, no, oh, that's the point. Um, people generally love rules, right? Or I know I love rules because they know what to expect um, and know how to predict. The consequence of each action is clear. And therefore, there is a sense of entitlement to the outcome. I know what will happen. Um, and the reason I want to make this point is because, you know, if, if you sat through this and you feel you obey the laws perfectly, love your neighbor, and therefore deserve an easy and simple or safe life. Well, I mean, Jesus was the most loving man and obeyed governing authorities perfectly, and yet he died on the cross at their hand. Jesus was eagerly anticipating what was to come and lived his life in a way that reflected that. Obeying authorities, loving your neighbor, won't provide for you a secure and safe life. And I mean, it's a little ironic, but if we really want to live um, the best life we can here on earth, then really we're going to be focused on an even greater life in heaven. So as we end our time today, let's remember that our perspective isn't always correct. And it does, um, does us more good to, you know, humbly submit to governing authorities in most cases. You know, to remember to genuinely love those around us, uh, limitlessly and unconditionally, this is what will you know, change neighborhoods and change people and spread the gospel. And let's do all these things, remembering what is to come, right? This is not our home. We're looking for something greater. We're waiting for the day to come. So as we uh, yeah, wrap it up, I'll just pray for us and we can consider those points. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together. I just, um, yeah, really grateful for your word and how it yeah, just applies to us so deeply and um, and yeah, in all ages to come, Lord, I'm grateful that we have such a clear uh, and helpful guide as to how we can yeah, really love those around us and um, follow you um, to the best of our ability, God. And just pray that um, for our governing authorities, especially during this time with COVID, Lord, that you just um, give them wisdom and that um, they guide us and protect us in ways in which we your gospel can flourish and that people, we can live at peace with one another, Lord. I just pray we are citizens who are above reproach, that we're continuously um, considering how to love, um, love our neighbors, obey government, give honor where honor is due, and that we're all doing this remembering what is to come, Lord, that, you know, heaven is coming soon, you know, at any moment, and remembering, uh, you know, what a great honor it is that we have uh, such a hope to look forward to. We love you so much, Lord. I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.